All right, you ready to do this? It's going to be a long episode. Oh just stretch out. Oh, yeah. Feeling good? No, let's go. <laughs> Satan! Welcome to Quite Possibly the most important episode of all say that pretty much the only reason I started this podcast in the first place was so I could do episodes on King Diamond and death. Once each of these tasks are fully accomplished, I'm thinking about retiring from music entirely and becoming a charter boat captain in the Florida Keys. You want to be my first mate? No, but that's the first bit of like positive information related to this episode that I've gotten. You're feeling good now. Well, I'm feeling optimistic. Light at the end of the tunnel? Yeah. All right. Excellent. see the end. <laughs> well... I think it would be freaking epic. Uh, we would have so many pina coladas. Do you, you like pina coladas? I, honestly, I don't actually know if I've ever had a pina colada. I feel like I'm you, from Alaska. Uh, you don't really do. What the do people drink in tropical Alaska? Drink depression. We just distill it into a very, very bitter alcohol. Oh, all right. I respect that. Yeah, yeah it's good. Meanwhile. We've still got some time in the old and heavy metal rock quarry ahead of us. So on today's episode, we're only going to cover Merciful Fate in the 1980s. It's going to be amazing. Oh God, that implies that there's more. <laughs> so much more. So much. This is part one of like a 16-part epic. It's going to be like the Ken Burns documentary. Oh, God. <laughs> heavy metal 101. <laughs> Like, uh, this isn't, this first episode is not even going to touch on my favorite music of all the musics, which is the King Diamond solo material. But never fear, we will most assuredly eventually devote endless hours to that phase of the Mighty King's career before all is said and done. So breathe easy, my friend. Have I eased your troubled mind? No, it's gone back to being bad again. <laughs> yeah, well, you seemed you seemed relaxed for a minute. There was, no. there was like a whole 30 <laughs> seconds where I was like, oh, okay. I watched your face go through a lot of transformations. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so obviously I'm utterly geeked up because it's merciful fucking fate. Now, I honestly wasn't entirely sure how this band would sit with you and your delicate sensibilities, although now I think I do know, but... Let's ask for the nice people. After your time spent immersed in a playlist straight from the bowels of hell, how are you feeling about all this? I didn't care for this. You didn't like this music? I did not care for this. Mm. You had a couple of nice things to say about some of the accompaniments and whatnot, right? Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just, just so kitsch. I just don't care about this messaging. It's like you, you, you're, you and your personal relationship with Satan need work, I think. I, I think have no relationship this with is, Satan. This is a I problem. don't want a relationship with Satan. This is not something I was craving in my life. Well, we'll see if we can change all that today. I don't you know. won't, but good luck. Okay. Now, as much as I adore them, Merciful Fate probably is not quite a heavy metal 101 level band. Hence, the, quote, advanced topics in metallology episode label. That said, I think it's perfectly reasonable to state that by the time of their full-length debut, Melissa, in 1983, Merciful Fate were arguably the best heavy metal band in the world. I'm guessing you'd argue that. Uh, who cares? Yeah, 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 John doesn't care. They were certainly in the running. Unfortunately, their period on the throne wasn't to last terribly long, as they were to split up in 1985. However, 
You'll be ever so pleased to note that Merciful Fate did return in the 1990s and were active in a variety of different incarnations between 1992 and 1999 before going dormant again. But more importantly, as we record this, Merciful Fate has only just wrapped touring their first performances in decades, which based on YouTube videos I've watched were incredible. How fantastic is that? Woo. It's actually not fantastic at all, John, because I didn't get to fucking see them live because my life is a horrible cesspit. But so it goes. Your wife and family don't listen to this, do they? Hmm. No, they don't. <laughs> don't lie. Don't even pretend to think about of that. Of course you know they don't listen to well this. they don't listen to this. <laughs> you think they give a fuck about merciful fate? <laughs> no, that's why I like them. Yeah, I know. They're charming people. Anyhow. Before we get too terribly deeply into this fiendishly satanic tale, I think it might be helpful if I shared a bit of my own background with this material. You see, I came to Merciful Fate in reverse order. I first fell madly in love with King Diamond sometime around 1990. My best pal Ross had begun a process of collecting albums with particularly wacky or scary covers, which he came across on cassette or CD. One of his purchases was the 1989 King Diamond masterpiece, Conspiracy. I think it'll help you better contextualize all of this if you take a look at that cover. Now, perhaps you could see how a 14-year-old Eric might be intrigued. <laughs> I mean, no. <laughs> if that drew you in oh, as a 14-year-old. Right this is what I was looking for in my life. Some people are looking for God. Some people are looking for money. I was looking for King Diamond. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. All right, well, this is, this is not a visual medium, so could you maybe describe the cover you're looking at to the nice people in podcast land? All right, so we have a very pointy font that says King Diamond at the top. Mm -hmm. There's a red border with just sort of more pointy graphics. Mm -hmm. Spidery and webby. Yeah, it's, is it a spider? It's kind of hard to tell. Yeah, it's hard to tell. It's, it's, it's spider aesthetic. At the bottom, it says conspiracy in the cool. same pointy font. And then in the middle is a face oh. of someone who I assume is King Diamond. It is! Please rise. sort of more aggressive kiss makeup and appears to have a cut on his forehead. Yeah, it's like blood. There's blood. And he's and... baring his teeth. Oh, he looks angry. He looks deranged. He is deranged. Great stuff. Great stuff. I know my friend Ross actually bought this mostly out of a sense of whimsy, but I was immediately What intrigued. the fuck is the whimsy behind that? <laughs> Who is the person? Where, oh, look at this crazy person. How delightful. <laughs> That's, That's exactly... not whimsy. <laughs> This was my youth. This was how we found whimsy. All right, anyhow. I knew generally at the time who King Diamond was through some of the fun over-the-top videos that tended to be shown on MTV's Headbangers Ball in the vicinity of Halloween, but I'd only listened passively at that point. Well, I was over at his place one time, and I randomly decided to throw the tape onto the stereo and see what the craziness was actually all about. And I was met smack in the face with a spooky, highly theatrical, nine-minute epic 
called at, at the Grey Races. There was a desperately sad opening narrative about a dead little sister, and then all sorts of ghastly ghosts rising from their graves. The whole thing was like a miniature horror movie, and one which continued to spread out over the length of the entire album, which, like nearly all King Diamond releases, is a full-length horror concept album. Holy shit, was this ever in my wheelhouse. Does this surprise you? Does that surprise me that, yeah. that you liked that? Yeah. No. Yeah, it's you're no, right. It's very me. As we were discussing earlier, clearly this is the thing you heard as a young teenager and decided to make your personality for the rest of your existence. Yeah, and I think it's worked out well. I'm charming. Bubbly. Satanic. Let's just keep going. Okay, moving on. So I immediately became a devoted King Diamond fan and collected all of his then extant albums. My first exposure to Merciful Fate, then, was actually from a split compilation that was released in 1992 called A Dangerous Meeting. This was basically a greatest hits album with the first half featuring all Merciful Fate songs and the second half all King Diamond songs. I loved the Merciful Fate tracks, but I was still Team King Diamond throughout the 90s, and for a while didn't dig any deeper into Merciful Fate beyond that compilation. The first Merciful Fate album I ended up buying was actually what is still their final album to date, 1999's Nine. It is an exceptionally great album and is still my favorite of all their 90s work. It was only after that that I finally started to dig into the pre-King Diamond solo material roots and to more deeply explore the classic 80s Merciful Fate which will be the crux of this here episode. So John, now you know my dirtiest secret. I didn't buy the magnificent debut album Melissa when it was new and I was a six-year-old child. Do you still have respect for me? The implication that I ever had respect for you is bold. <laughs> entirely fair and not unexpected. Uh, <clears throat> well, now you know my background with Merciful Fate and King Diamond. So John, tell us about your background with these brilliant satanic demons of heavy metal debauchery. I listened to a 54-minute playlist you gave me yesterday, and it was the second most painful part of my day. <laughs> so, so that's good. So you've decided that I have, jazz I have, made, I have made a decision. Yeah, the jazz concert I had to sit through in the evening was worse. <laughs> that's incredible. I feel really good about that decision. <laughs> I'm, glad, I'm glad we could come to a conclusion there. <laughs> All right. Well, that, that was your first experience with Merciful Fate leads me to just reflect with great sadness on the hollow, empty life that you led before you met me. Continue to lead. <laughs> so, the story of Merciful Fate actually begins back in the year 1977 with the formation of, interestingly enough, a punk band in Copenhagen, Denmark. John, are you a fan of Danish punk? I don't know any Danish punks. I know very little Danish punk, but I, I like what I know. All right. Yeah. Uh, the band in question was called Bratz. They released one full-length album in 1980. Wait, are we sure it's not Bratz? I feel like that was racist somehow. Was that racist? I mean, I guess. <laughs> like, a, like a little I mean, bit? a little bit. Okay, okay. You can probably get away with it. <laughs> um, so they released one full-length album in 1980 called 1980. Frankly, although I'm not much of a punk guy myself, I actually think it's a really charming album. Uh, so what does all this have to do with... You know Muslim that's fate? what they were going for. Charming, it punk is charming. Punk people wanted to be described as charming, for sure. You know, it's pretty catchy and accessible. I feel like when I listen to 1980, the album, I feel like it very much could be something in that post-punk, Green Day, accessible milieu. I mean, let's be honest... What do the Danes have to be upset about? They're very happy people. It's just, yeah. I mean, it, yeah. it feels like not a good place for punk. I get 
get that. I get that. It sounds like punk that would come from Denmark, I think. That's, that's really what it feels like to me. So what does any of this have to do with Merciful Fate? You were wondering. I right? was. Okay, that's I fair. really was. That's totally fair. The two guitarists in Bratz were a fellow named Michael Denner, who shares my birthday, incidentally, and another fellow by the name of René Krollmark, who at the time went by the absolutely delightful nom de plume, Hank the Wank. <laughs> but who most heavy metal fans will know better as Hank Sherman. Of course, Sherman and Denner's twin guitar attack would eventually be the black beating heart at the core of Merciful Fate following the dissolution of Bratz. Yay! Now, I imagine that many Merciful Fate fans haven't actually heard Bratz, so we're going to open up our assigned listening by digging deep into the archives and checking out a great, gloriously catchy tune by this nifty band out of whose ashes our beloved Merciful Fate would spring. We're going to check out the opening track of 1980 entitled OY905. To avoid any confusion, let me say now that King Diamond did indeed briefly sing for Bratz, but that that was after this album, but immediately prior to the formation of Merciful Fate. The singer on this album is bassist slash vocalist Jens Arnstead. Got it? Uh, yes. Were you listening at all? To who? Satan? No. Sad. Okay, now before the music, a logistical note. For this very special episode, I'm going to do two edits. If you listen to the version of the podcast with music via Spotify, the musical selection will be embedded. You can just let them play. If, however, you're listening somewhere else, in order to hear any of the music, you're going to need to pause the podcast and click on the appropriate link in the show notes. So you've got options. We like to give our listeners agency here. However you want to do this, we're all going to now stop and check out some brats, because they really are a delight. Let's go! bobbing along to something that you don't even understand. This could be about, like, killing mothers. You have no fucking clue. Yeah. Why are you okay with that? <laughs> it's OY905. What does that mean? Just shoot me down tonight. I'd like to. <laughs> I, thought, I thought you'd appreciate that invite. <laughs> John. <laughs> It's Danish punk. I feel like this is just not your thing. The okay. fact that they pr it's English as a second language, they've got that the sort of punk style where like the vocals are not buried in the mix, but not so prominent. You can't really understand a word they say, and, and you just you don't like that. No, if you're gonna have words, they should be intelligible and they should mean something. I just think it's catchy as all hell. I, I, re I really do. I love that song. I think the whole album's great. You know what else is catchy? Anaclan and Ock music. That doesn't make it great. Oh, I like Anaclan and Ock music. Do you really? Yeah, it's catchy. God. Well, <laughs> so I think Bratz really were a great sort of punk metal hybrid. And I think what this album shows off particularly well is the, the really catchy songwriting of Hank Sherman. The man is a riff machine. And this is one of the many things that's going to make Merciful Fate so freaking fantastic. Okay, so now we've met one essential component of the Merciful Fate equation, the fearsome Denner-Sherman guitar tag team. And now, it's time to meet perhaps the greatest man ever to live, my beloved hero, one Kim Bendix Peterson, a.k.a. King, King Diamond! Diamond! Yeah! 
born in Copenhagen on what was to become the holiest day of the devil's calendar, June 14th, 1956. Actually, I think a good faith argument could be made that June 14th, 1956 is the most important day in the history of the world and that every June 14th should be celebrated globally via satanic masses and perhaps a nice brunch. What do you think? That is a big fucking leap. Hmm. Well, I'll see what I can do about it when I uh, get elected president. You know what? I I would support your candidacy. I appreciate that. I think I'd be a pretty good president. I'm a nice guy. I'm well-intended. Okay. Since literally not a day goes by that I don't talk about King Diamond in some way or another, I'm curious what you, John, bring to the table. What have you retained from years of listening to my celebratory praise and utterly ignoring all the musical links that I've sent you? Do you want me to answer this honestly? (laughs) Yeah! I don't remember shit! I knew it! Here is a short-form list of stuff that everyone should probably know about King Diamond. Number one! He has a very distinctive look. Since his early days in the band Black Rose, Kim has gone by the name King Diamond and has worn a style of corpse paint, which was originally inspired by one Alice Cooper. He also tends to favor fun gothic headgear and rather sinister costumes. Number two, he has a very distinctive voice. King has developed a truly tremendous arsenal of vocal tones and colors over the years and has an impressive four plus octave range. He is most famous for a shrill falsetto (laughs) that some, like myself, absolutely worship, and others who should be ritually murdered dislike. Hello. (laughs) Number three. He has a very distinctive set of religious beliefs. In the most simplistic of terms, King is a non-theistic Satanist, which is more or less an atheist with a particular disdain for Christianity. His lyrics for Merciful Fate tended to be pretty harshly satanic, particularly in the 1980s, though his solo career lyrics have tended to focus more on the telling of oral horror stories, and the religious thing is considerably less front and center. Number four, he is a super sweet dude. He's warm, brilliant, and utterly delightful in interviews. He has a lovely wife, Livia Zita, and they have an adorable little boy. Oh, and they live in Texas is sort of wacky and unexpected, no? It is unexpected. Yeah, yeah. John, having heard all that, do you feel closer to King Diamond now? Sure. Yeah, he's a family man. Great, good for him. He's like me, but, you know, famous. He was successful. Yeah, successful. Now, all of this is a bit of an oversimplified thumbnail, of course, but I think it provides enough of the gist for the uninitiated. As far as his musical background, King began his career as the guitarist for a Danish band called Brainstorm in the 70s, before joining Black Rose as a singer. As mentioned previously, it was during his time in Black Rose that he developed the early drafts of the look, image, and stage show of King Diamond. He hadn't quite gotten his elaborate and unique vocal techniques together at that point, but I do think it's worth peeking in on what King Diamond was up to in the year 1980. Fortunately for us, there is a reasonably well-recorded rehearsal tape of Black Rose that was released formally in 2001. This album is perhaps only for true King Diamond aficionados, but as as a true King Diamond aficionado myself, I certainly have enjoyed the opportunity to orally peek in on the King during those early years prior to Merciful Fate. So let's all do that. We'll take a listen to the opening track of King Diamond and Black Rose 20 years ago. A night of rehearsal. 
This is a uh, pretty catchy little ditty. 20 years ago? Yeah. Well, 20 years ago in 2001. Got it. When it was released, yeah. So 40 years ago. (laughs) Yes, in a long time. We're all getting a little older. (laughs) I feel like that stings more for you than it it does does for me. I agree. Uh, this song is called Locked Up in the Snow, which I feel like could be the name of your biography, right? I live in North Carolina. Yeah, but you grew up in Alaska. Where we know how to deal with snow. So you were not often locked up in the snow? No. Yeah, okay. Now, we're going to get to hear a young novice singer still trying to figure it all out, accompanied by what was really a pretty solid, deep purple-influenced band. John, lock us up in snow. Deep, cold snow. You know, I don't think I want to ask you about that one, because I think you'll say mean things that will make me sad. Is that a fair assumption? (laughs) (laughs) Moving on! So, as a vocalist, King still had a lot of musical growing up to do. It's pretty fascinating to trace his vocal growth from Black Rose through the early Merciful Fate demos, wherein he's clearly on the right path, but it's still fine-tuning things, and then through to the actual Merciful Fate albums, wherein his voice is my favorite thing in the history of the world by far. Okay, so we've met Bratz and Black Rose. The way this story works in getting from this formative stage to Merciful Fate is a little bit confusing, but just bear with me. It basically goes as follows. King left Black Rose and joined Hank Sherman and some other people in Bratz, which Michael Denner at that point was no longer involved with. At the same time, Denner was trying to get a new band called Danger Zone off the ground. Danger Zone! (laughs) Yes. This project included future Merciful Fate bassist, Timmy Grabber Hansen. In a relatively short order, Bratz dissolved and reconfigured under the name Merciful Fate with a roster that fluctuated pretty wildly during the demo days. Now, John, I assume you're lost, so just to be clear, at this point in the year 1981, we have two bands, Mm -hmm. Merciful Fate featuring King Diamond and Hank Sherman, Mm -hmm. and Danger Zone featuring Michael Denner and Timmy Hansen. Got it? Mm-hmm. Pretty clear. Yeah. Okay. And Hank Sherman is one of the Sherman brothers, right? Shut up. Now, by April of that year, Timmy Hansen had actually now joined Merciful Fate. And by June, with the release of their fourth demo of that single year, classic lineup drummer Kim Ruz was now in the band. John, I know that you're wondering to yourself, Self, what could this slew of Merciful Fate demos possibly sound like? Oh, that's exactly what I was thinking. Well, have I ever got a treat for you? We're going to listen to a Merciful Fate demo. Oh, perfect. <laughs> now, Michael Denner was not yet in the band, and the second guitarist on this recording is Benny Peterson, who is no relation to Kim. But the rest of the classic lineup was all together by the time the guys recorded one of my very favorite songs of all time, Return of the Vampire. Amazingly, ah, this was never an official album track. Although there is a fantastic re-record featuring the omnipresent Lars Ulrich on drums, which was a bonus track on the 1990. Now wait a minute, Lars Ulrich is from a pretty notable band, isn't he? Uh, he's done some things. Have we discussed the band that Lars Ulrich is from? Metallica. Don't make me say it again. Yes. Do you think we'll ever talk about that band? I mean, I know they're just sort of a passing footnote in the history of heavy metal, but we're going to explore. The repertoire of Metallica on a future episode. Mm-hmm. Promises, I know, promises. I know you're waiting with bated breath. 
So, this bonus track was on the Merciful Fate album, In the Shadows. This, however, is a demo version from the year 1981. A bunch of these early demos were released on the excellent 1992 compilation entitled Return of the Vampire. It is delightfully rough, but also freaking incredibly great. John, now, you strike me as someone who might have very little patience for rough demo recordings, is that fair? Yes, mm -hmm. that is fair. Now, it's oral history, bro. Oral history. Fine. Oh, good. So you're okay with it? It's, look, you can have your oral history. I'm sure that our entire listening audience would be bored to tears by, like, the recordings of Toscanini berating orchestras that I find so fascinating. But in the same way, I have no interest in this. Now, we'll be at the lovingly polished official recordings ever so soon. But meanwhile, the vampire is out for blood, John, and it's yours. So play the goddamn song! song takes me to my happy place, which apparently is a decrepit crypt. Anyhow, isn't it just apparently, oodles? Apparently your happy place is flat. <laughs> Look, King Diamond in these early days is still developing as a vocalist, and his ability to do the things he wants to do perfectly in tune has not quite arrived yet, but I find it charming. I just, I really, really, really like the vocal on that. I wonder if this is just something about being a parent where you've just like you you've become accustomed to terrible musical performances and so you're you don't mind the fact that he's literally not singing the right note. Just to be clear, are you implying that my daughter's musical performances are terrible? I'm implying that every single child's musical performances are terrible. That's totally accurate. Yeah. Now, you're obviously truly the worst, but we, we've come to accept that. And we're okay with it. We're okay with that. Because we want to save you, John. Me and my compadres out in podcast land, we're going to help turn your life around. You ready for that? Didn't you just tell me that uh, even the Merciful Fate people don't like that song? I think that they like it. I don't think that uh, enough Merciful Fate fans give that song the credit it deserves, which is perhaps why it was never in a full Is it possible that, that, that just they too also don't like people singing out of tune? I don't know. Anything's possible. I just think the song is so goddamn catchy, and that chorus just slays. I will admit that King's voice is clearly still taking shape, but it is infinitely more refined at this point than what we heard on the Black Rose material. And the classic riff, that anthemic chorus, and the darkly gothic subject matter are all just so very good. If I wasn't already happily married, I would totally marry this song. That's weird. Yeah. Yeah, it's so great. Anyhow, by early 1982, when the band traveled to England to record for the Metallic Storm compilation, the classic lineup of Merciful Fate was now, at last, complete. Roll call! Now, to be abundantly clear, this magnificent, maleficent force was King Diamond, vocals, Hank Sherman and Michael Denner, guitars, Timmy Hansen, bass, and Kim Ruzz, drums. Praise Satan, John! We've got the boys together. The prelude is over. Now we can stop all this pussyfooting around and get seriously serious. Merciful Actually, before we discuss the EP and... Are you kidding me? <laughs> you know, all this fucking build-up and then you hit us with an actually? You're such a dick. Oh, it's layers and layers. 
before we discuss those classic 80s albums, I, I, we need to address an important matter, a foundational matter that's important. Okay? Real quick. John doesn't look convinced. In, in many a discussion, the band Merciful Fate are listed as part of a, quote, first wave of black metal. This also typically includes our good buddies, Venom. You remember Venom? Vaguely. Oh, welcome to hell, John. Welcome to hell. This first wave business is to distinguish these bands from those hellacious fellows that would emerge in the Norway of the 1990s who gleefully murdered each other, burnt down ancient churches, and periodically made some pretty fabulous music. John, are you much familiar with the whole like black metal thing? No, are you serious? They actually murdered each other? Oh yeah, yeah. Murders, jail time. It was it was an intense time. We are we'll eventually tell that whole story in, in a great, explicit, gory detail. But that'll be a future episode. Don't worry. Don't worry, we'll get there. You excited? No. Yeah, you don't look excited. No. Right now, what we need to consider is our terms in order to decide whether or not Merciful Fate truly qualify as a part of a first wave of black metal. I think what we need to consider is this. Is black metal a label which applies primarily to the lyrical content and image of a band, kind of like glam metal? Or is it a label for a particular musical aesthetic? Or perhaps a bit of both. I hesitate to ask this, but do you have any thoughts on this matter? I suspect, as with most things in life, it is not a cut and dry answer. <laughs> all right, all right. I think I think your wisdom is showing. There are those who feel otherwise, but I'm of the opinion that if we look at the totality of black metal from the perspective of the year 2022, there actually is a recognizable musical aesthetic. A contemporary band like Death Heaven sounds like black metal, though they have neither the look nor the lyrical content. Meanwhile, Merciful Fate certainly look like a black metal band, at least King Diamond does, and they certainly sing about all the right stuff. Wait a second. I'm sorry, I have to ask this question. It's mm -hmm. very important because yeah. we have discussed King Diamond's look. Mm -hmm. Is he the only person in the band who... Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's like, what, four normal people in him? Yeah. Yeah, it's cool. Wow. I know. It's bold. It's dramatic. Yeah, yeah, very much so. To my ears, Merciful Fate actually sound more like a particularly heavy traditional metal band than any sort of musical proto-black metal. So the question is, are Deaf Heaven black metal because of their sound? Are Merciful Fate black metal because of their image? Does John remotely care about any of this? No. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's That's fair. <laughs> but look, honestly, we're dealing in semantics. For the record, here's my opinion. I see these early satanic bands like Venom and Merciful Fate as not black metal bands, but rather as influential artists who played a big part in establishing the look and attitude of that genre. As such, I'm happy to label them as proto-black metal. For me, a true first wave of black metal begins with Bathory and Hellhammer in 1984, when the sounds we associate with the genre begin to coalesce along with the look and lyrical content earlier established. What is that sound, you may be asking? Are you asking that? I was not asking that. Well, that's a discussion for another episode. <laughs> I was, however, thinking... That given my vast knowledge on this subject, that <laughs> seems like a reasonable stance. Oh, good. I feel good about that. All right. Well, thank you. We've finished the episode. and we'll All right, I'm out. <laughs>
Well, anyway, we're, we're going to get to all that eventually. But suffice it to say, Merciful Fate certainly don't sound like a black metal band. So that's where I stand on this. However, fuck Dogma. If you feel otherwise, more power to you. For my money, Merciful Fate is really an exceptionally extraordinary, quite heavy traditional metal band that just happens to be singing about Satan and other seriously evil things. Amen. What could possibly be cooler than that? Good night's sleep. Hmm. That's actually a pretty solid answer. All right. Respect. Anywho, speaking about evil things, let's finally talk about the self-titled EP from 1982, which is also sometimes known as Nuns Have No Fun. John, please describe in intimate, precise detail the glorious cover image as drawn by Ola Poulsen. All right. So what we have here appears to be... A almost naked lady. Boobs! Yep, they're definitely boobs. Mm -hmm. Up on a cross. The top of the cross has a pentagram. There's a moon in the upper left-hand corner with a bat. And there are hooded figures standing around staring up at the boobs. Uh, Would you agree that that nun does not appear to be having any fun at all? I think it's a bold assumption that that is a nun. (laughs) It probably is a bit of a bold assumption, but <laughs> clearly everything about I would be, this... I, I could be talked into these hooded figures being nuns, and I think they're having a blast. Oh, okay. So you're saying nuns do have fun. Well, I think if those are nuns, they're having a great time. All right. All right. Uh, obviously, everything about this cover is absolutely great. This four-track EP was released on November 8th, 1982, on a tiny Dutch label called Ravon Records. It is 22 minutes of pure heavy metal perfection. I mean, how many albums can you think of that call out nuns via a catchy chorus spelling out C-U-N-T? Well, I can't think of any. I thought not. Not many at all. This album has two slamming fleet-footed bangers. The opening track, A Corpse Without Soul, and side two opener, Doomed by the Living Dead. The latter particularly shows off Merciful Fate maintaining a delicate balance between speed metal velocity, Diamond's ultra-extreme vocals and lyrics, and a shockingly catchy classic rock underpinning, which helps to make all of this far more accessible than it has any right to be. I think that both of these songs are among Merciful Fate's very best work, and they're actually also the first two of their tracks that I ever heard, since they open up that aforementioned A Dangerous Meeting compilation that introduced me to the band. The second track on the original EP is the aforementioned Nuns Have No Fun, which has brats-like punky elements and a very tongue-in-cheek, shall we say, irreverent irreligiosity. It's also the only Merciful Fate track prior to the Don't Break the Oath album with a Michael Denner writing credit. The fourth and final track is Devil Eyes, which actually managed to incorporate a bit of disco in the drums and the bass. Devil Eyes isn't really one of their best tunes, but it's a solid closer, and it's, it's quite a lot of fun. Other than Nuns Have No Fun, all the songs here are credited to Sherman and King Diamond. Nuns Have No Fun was written by Denner, Sherman, and King. Now, overall, the EP, while not quite as strong as either of the next two full-length masterpieces to come, is an exceptionally potent early collection of work from a shockingly polished and able band who seem to be light years ahead of most of their early 80s heavy metal contemporaries in their musical development. John, 
Based on the two tracks you heard from the EP, A Corpse Without Soul and Doomed by the Living Dead, you can't tell me that this isn't a shockingly well-put-together swath of early 80s Danish satanic heavy metal, right? Sure. I can't name any other early 80s Danish satanic heavy metal, so I guess this is the best put-together early 80s Danish satanic heavy metal that I've listened to. I'm going to take that, and I'm going to run with it. Now, I have wrestled back and forth and back and forth on which of these two tracks I wanted to play for our next assigned listening. John, the struggle is real. Mm -hmm. After a torturous period of deepest reflection, I've decided that Doomed by the Living Dead best demonstrates the many elements that come together so very harmoniously in Merciful Fate's oeuvre. It also has King singing the lyric, Just say goodbye to all your fucking angels! which is quite possibly the greatest thing that anyone has ever sung since the dawn of time. So, so we'll do that. Listen for the spooky lyrics and the pictures they paint, the incredible musicianship of the band, King's now fully matured vocal prowess in all its glory, and the shockingly catchy chorus, which will definitely get stuck in your head and drive you gloriously insane. Also note that the lyrics to this song are in the second person singular. King is singing from the perspective of the thing that's going to kill you, the listener. He can't help, because he's one of the dead. I suggest turning out all the lights and listening real close. You're going to die! It's going to be so fun! I should be so lucky. John! John! Are you there? Did you survive this evil night? I did. Yeah. Okay. You sound disappointed. <laughs> I mean, you were ravaged, right? I don't even think so. Wow. So you just feel like, fine? I'm a little sleepy. Oh, okay. Evil. <laughs> there is there's not a thing I don't love about that song. Not a thing. It was actually the very first Merciful Fate song that I ever heard because for whatever reason, despite the sequence of the original EP in which this was the first song on the second side, this, rather than A Corpse Without Soul, was the lead-off track on the A Dangerous Meeting compilation. So I was instantly charmed. Great riffs, awesome playing, catchy hook, evil lyrics, the king! It's like everything good in this world all smushed together into one gloriously satanic five-minute package. John, I really like Merciful Fate. Do you? Yeah! I had no idea. I do, I do, I do. I like them a wow. lot. How about you? No. You don't, you don't like Merciful Fate? No. You didn't like that a little bit more than now that it's a little more familiar? No. You weren't charmed? No. Were you moved? No. <laughs> okay, well, have I got news for you. It's only going to get better. The EP is great, really great, but it honestly is considerably weaker than the two albums that followed. As such... It's time for us to level up. It's time to talk about arguably the greatest debut LP in heavy metal history. The brilliant, terrifying, glorious Melissa. John. John! Are you ready for this? I feel as though it is important for me to share with you that every time you say Melissa, I think of the Allman Brothers band song. Melissa! Which sounds nothing like that. Oh. Yeah, I know that song. That song's boring. Anyway, it's the EP. Yeah, it's fine. Do you like the Allman Brothers? Yeah, a hell of a lot more than Merciful Fate. Oh, yeah. my God! 
I'd take the Almond Brothers any day over Merciful Fate. I assume that's not an uncommon sentiment, so I'll, I'll allow it. But, but for the record, I, I don't feel that way. The EP, which had a limited release on the aforementioned Ravon Records, got Merciful Fate enough attention and radio play such that in 1983, they signed with the still relatively new Dutch label, Roadrunner Records. And so, between July 18th and 29th of that year, the band went into Easy Sound Recording in Copenhagen to record their masterpiece, Melissa, 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 Melissa. This is definitely not a summary sort of record, and it was appropriately released on October 30th of 1983. John, take a look at the iconic cover and tell me what you think. I mean, it's pretty tame. Yeah, so we have... It's not like bloody and gross or anything. No, so we've got a skull Ooh. that's... It's like a flying skull. Eyes, no... Well, I don't, do, you, do you think it's flying? I mean, it's got like motion, right? Yeah. Isn't it? Well, so that's a that's an interesting question. So uh, as I was going to say, the eyes, nose, and mouth all are like glowing reddish-orange and then they're streaming away to the left from our perspective... I guess it could be motion implied. It could also just be that it's supposed to be oriented this way. Oh, it's like dripping stuff. Flowing out. Oh, that's really interesting. John, you have opened my eyes to a new perspective. Well, that's why I'm here. Yeah. I really like the way Melissa is written. I think that's a cool font. What do you think? I mean, sure. It's it's like a teeny bit more legible than your handwriting. I think it's considerably more legible than my handwriting. <laughs> okay, well, so Melissa was actually the name of a human skull that the band was then using as a stage prop. Alas, tragically, she was stolen at a gig on January 21st, 1984 in Amsterdam. Damn the Dutch. This was a sad day for Merciful Fate fans everywhere, no? I was not even alive. I haven't gotten over this, and it's been a long time, John. I still tried therapy? Uh, I have tried therapy, but we didn't talk about the Melissa skull. Well, maybe that's why it didn't work. Uh Uh-huh. You're opening up my eyes to to new things all the time. Anyhow, in the context of the album, Melissa is also the title of the hauntingly lovely closing track. It's sort of a deeply satanic ballad. She is a witch who was beloved by the narrator and who was tragically burned at the stake. John, could you read us a stanza from the heartrending lyrics, please? Melissa, you were the queen of the night. Melissa, you were my light. I swear revenge on the priest. The priest must die. He must die in the name of hell. John, this is the fucking best stuff ever, right? Ever. It's Satanists feeling their feelings. And fuck that priest, right? Sure. Yeah, fuck that priest. So top down, this is an incredible album. It also sounds absolutely fabulous, even though for some reason or another, the band has had some amount of complaints with the production ever since. Melissa was produced by a fellow named Henrik Lund, who apparently had no idea how to produce a heavy metal album, so basically just let the band steer the ship. I actually think this worked out extremely well for all involved. To be clear, the the members of Merciful Fate are not happy? They're not happy with the production. So what you're saying is these people who you revere tremendously, you think their opinion is wrong. Even amongst my heroes, I see fallibility. Hmm. Interesting. Sometimes I think you're wrong. Am I one of your heroes? No. I didn't think so. Yeah. For the record, I'm wrong all the time. I thought you were going to say that for the record, I'm one of your heroes. Oh, no. God, no. No. 
<laughs> no. Well, that's, that's too bad. Now, possibly, possibly, my very favorite Merciful Fate song is Evil, which kicks off the album in exquisite fashion. So, John, we're going to listen to this bad boy, but I'd actually like you to set us up by reading some of the lyrics first, preferably in the evilest voice you possibly can muster. But wait! Before you do so, I want to say one of the neat things about this song is that it is through-composed. John, that's a classical dork-type term. Can you explain what a through-composed song is to the nice people? Sure. It's a piece written by someone who had no vision, so they just sort of kept spewing out crap until they got to their end. (laughs) I have no response to this. (laughs) So the basic gist... (laughs) You'll find no repeating verses or choruses or any of that unnecessary bullshit here. Just pure... No formal conventions or anything useful to help you keep track of what's going on. You're unmoored. It's just shit until it's done. Just undiluted musical evil. Okay, I'm going to call out each musical segment, because there are segments, there's chunks of material, and then you're going to read the lyric to that segment, okay? Got it. All right, let's do it. A... I was born in the cemetery under the sign of the moon, raised from my grave by the dead. I was made a mercenary in the legions of hell. Now I'm king of pain. I'm insane. B. Genuinely hurt. (laughs) It should. It's evil. You know my only pleasure is to hear you cry. I'd love to hear you cry. I'd love to feel you die. And I'll be the first to watch your funeral. And I'll be the last to leave. I'd love to hear you cry. See? And when you're down beyond the ground, I'll dig up your body again and make love to shame. Oh, lady, cry and oh, say lady, goodbye. Oh, lady, cry and say goodbye. You've got to say goodbye, because I will eat your mind. John, you just read about some necrophilia there. Yeah, didn't, didn't feel good. <laughs> didn't like that. So, it's not, not, not your thing? No. Oh, that's good. John, I'm so happy. I'm glad this could make you happy. It's just all, it's a very exciting. It's very exciting. Now, for the record, I think the C material, and basically everything that happens in this song from about 2 minutes and 18 seconds in through the conclusion is about as catchy, anthemic, and frankly, inspirational as music gets. It's just so good. Okay, let's just listen to the fucking song. Go! John, if you say anything bad about this song, I will kill you where you sit. I will eat your mind here and now live on this podcast. So... What'd you think? It was a song. It was! Some might say the song. Uh, you know, I can't speak for others. <laughs> Look, I get that King Diamond's voice, like a fine bourbon, can be an acquired taste. He is by far my favorite singer, and aside from my wife and children, quite possibly my favorite human being in the world. But aside from King, I do think that this is just perfect music making through and through. Everything about this song is just absolutely top-notch. Would you agree? It's fine. If you like this, sure. You are a deeply broken human being. Okay. Yeah. Just a few interesting facts about this era in Merciful Fate's career before we move on. Now, 
I very nearly brought up Johnny Z and Megaforce Records in an earlier episode when we were talking about the band Venom, but it didn't make it into the final draft. Now is as good a time as any to rectify that oversight. You see, the Zazula family was a monumentally important New Jersey-based force for heavy metal in America in the early 1980s, and they were the ones who were responsible for importing Melissa, <laughs> and also Venom's Welcome to Hell, to the U.S. We're definitely going to talk about John and Marsha Zazula in more detail when we discuss Metallica's debut and the rise of American Thrash on a future episode, but I did want to briefly acknowledge them and their important contribution by being the first people to bring the music of Venom and Merciful Fate to our shores. That's pretty great, right? Sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank goodness. Thank goodness. Just think of how awful the world would be if we had never heard this. I can, I shudder. I shudder to think. Mm. Now, both John and Marsha recently passed, so rest in peace, John and Marsha. You have most definitely earned it. Speaking of Metallica, and you hear that, speaking of Metallica. Ooh, the third time this episode. I know. Episode. Oh, it's shit. Almost, it was fun. It's almost as though <laughs> we might actually talk about this band at some point. Ta-da! I'm setting it up. We're getting there. We're so close. The We're slow so burn. Close. It's a very slow burn. <laughs> so... It was in the year 1984 that the dudes from Metallica and Merciful Fate first met and became close friends. Metallica actually recorded their legendary second album, Ride the Lightning, in Copenhagen, and they used Merciful Fate's practice studio while working on the material for that album. You like Ride the Lightning? You know I don't know. Oh, God. So you, you give me shit about Metallica, and you don't know anything about Metallica, do no, you? I'm just here to be a thorn in your side. <laughs> I, I need My that. only role in this podcast is to antagonize you and our listeners who also love this stuff. I feel like it's important that you're here. Anyway, the two bands have always expressed mutual admiration, and Metallica's Merciful Fate medley from their 1998 Garage Inc. album was certainly a big boost for Merciful Fate in terms of international attention. So thanks, Metallica. Jump. Aside from Evil, I included Curse of the Pharaohs, Into the Coven, and Black Funeral on your playlist. I'm assuming each and every one of these songs brought you just a bit closer in your personal relationship with our Lord Satan. No? That's an assumption. <laughs> well, you probably didn't know this, but actually back to the PMRC and the Filthy 15, Into the Coven was one of those songs. Oh. Yeah, okay. yeah. Now, one thing I regretfully did not include was the 11 and a half minute epic, Satan's Fall. I want to now apologize to you for not giving you the opportunity to enjoy that fine, fine tune. I'm, I'm sorry, buddy. No. Somehow, I will persevere. I appreciate your strength. Now, every song on Melissa is really great. I do think I probably gave you the best four. It's subjective. But actually, really what I did, I skipped the three longest songs. Because I, I know you, and I know your attention span, and your, shall I say, lack of passion for the oeuvre? That's fair. Okay. So, uh, it's okay that I skipped the three longest songs? Yes. Okay. So... All wonderful, evil things must come to an end. And unfortunately, we do need to move along to the final album of this trilogy of 1980s Merciful Fate Terror, The Monumental. John, the question that pretty much all Merciful Fate fans ask each other is this. Melissa? Now, based on what you've heard, where do you stand on this important issue? Mm, 
what were the tracks from the second okay, one again? Okay, so here's the playlist. So from the first album, we have Evil, Curse of the Pharaohs, Into the Coven, and Black Funeral. And from the second album, we have A Dangerous Meeting, To One Far Away, Come to the Sabbath. Let me just scroll back to the written record of my live opinions about all of this. Are you looking at our text chain? Yep. So you, you didn't take copious notes, you mm. just wrote me texts bitching about the music? Yes. Hmm. You're a gentleman and a scholar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm going to go with the second album. Yes! Uh, I disagree, actually. But, but still, I think both albums are fucking incredible. I personally, I lean ever so slightly towards Melissa. So, you know, we have a small difference of opinion. Do we? <laughs> I agree. It's, it's not an easy choice. Now, please take a look at the iconic Don't Break the Oath album cover. Tell me what you think of that. Okay, so now we've got a skull with horns. Everything is surrounded in flames. And it's pointing at you with the uh, baritone claw. Figaro. This is the baritone claw. This what? is the gesture that every baritone makes. Oh, so so the skull figure on Don't Break the Oath is a baritone. Yeah. Huh, okay. I did not know that. That's very illuminating. What do you think? Should I get this image as a sweet back tap? Oh, 100%, yes. Ah, uh, yes. Color, right. for Good. sure. Okay, we agree with each other there. Yes. Perfect. It's a gorgeous cover. It was designed by an artist named Thomas Holm. I looked up his website. He's still active. Good for him. Yeah, he's, he's doing stuff. I don't dislike that cover. Yeah, it's pretty, right? Yeah, it's, it's nice. nice. It's yeah. nice. Yeah. Anyhow, Don't Break the Oath was also recorded at Easy Sound Recording in Copenhagen, just like its sister album. It was released on September 7th of 1984. The tour for Don't Break the Oath at last brought our heroes to the great U.S. of A., where they spent October through December playing a mix of headlining shows and also opening for John's most favorite band, Motorhead! Oh my god, that sounds like the worst evening ever. You didn't think we were going to get a Motorhead reference in today, did you? I surely was not expecting mm -hmm. to dislike this more than I already do. Cameo! Eight-year-old me totally missed out by not catching any of those gigs, which I imagine were fucking amazing. I don't think you would have had a great time. Well, fortunately, you weren't I didn't have the option. No option. That's sad for you. I feel bad. Look, the album itself utterly slays, and it opens with one of my very, very favorite Merciful Fate songs, A Dangerous Meeting. Now, this was on your playlist. How'd you like those rotten apples? Mmm, rotten. You don't remember it, do you? No. Oh my god, you <laughs> fucker. Listen, in my defense, I completely forgot everything about mm -hmm. yesterday except for the seething rage that I felt at sitting through a jazz concert. I don't have words. I've lost words. <laughs> my words are lost. I speak with great eloquence and fluency until now. You've broken me, John. I'm broken. Mission accomplished. <sighs> it is such a... Raise the banner, boys. <laughs> <laughs> We're going home. <laughs> White flag. White flag. <laughs> Anyhow... Though you don't remember, it, A Dangerous Meeting is a fucking fantastic song. Uh, it's actually a reworking of one of their oldest tunes, which was originally called Death Kiss back in the demo days. You, you want to check out Death Kiss? No. All right, well, maybe later. Like Melissa, but perhaps even more so, Don't Break the Oath is a mix of catchy, somewhat progressive, traditionally structured tunes, like A Dangerous Meeting, but also rather challenging, epic, through-composed narrative pieces like Nightmare, the second song on the album. Don't Break the Oath sort of ping-pongs back and forth between those two song paradigms. Unlike Melissa, which had all music credited to Sherman and all lyrics credited to King, there is an interesting mix of credits on this one. 
All the lyrics are still credited to King Diamond, but the first three tracks, A Dangerous Meeting, Nightmare, and Desecration of Souls, as well as Welcome Princess of Hell from side two, those are the only songs musically credited to just Sherman. Oh, oh, fun fact. Personally, I find the title Welcome Princess of Hell just totally charming. Alas, it's actually a typo. The title was supposed to be Welcome Princes of Hell. <laughs> yeah, I like that actually quite a bit less, but it is still one of my favorite songs on the album. Mm. The wackiest song on Don't Break the Oath, Night of the Unborn, is the only track musically credited to both Sherman and Denner. I think it's probably my least favorite song on the album, but it's a pretty fascinating and complicated tune. Two songs are credited musically to Denner and Diamond. There's the straight-ahead, excellent, merciful fate classic, Gypsy, and the absolutely gorgeous, if brief, instrumental to One Far Away. That one seemed to me like it might be your type of piece. Do you remember the slow, pretty instrumental song to yeah, One Far Away? It was fine. It was pretty. I mean, look, I, I will say now for the record what I have said to you privately, which is that I thought both the bass playing and the drumming of this band uh, were pretty good. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I found the drumming to be some of the least offensive of all the drummers you've made me listen to thus far. Wow, what a beautiful, beautiful praise you, you heap upon Kim Rose. Yeah, I don't care for the singing, and the guitar playing is just not my cup of tea. Mm. Hmm. Okay. Well, lastly, perhaps illustrative of the fact that the end was nigh, two of the album's nine songs were credited with music and lyrics solely by King Diamond. I think these are two of the best songs on the album, including the longest and most theatrical track, The Oath, and what is probably my favorite song from this album, the closing track, Come to the Sabbath. For our last assigned listening, let's hear the final song, which marked the end of an era for Merciful Fate. Come to the Sabbath is an iconic, spooky metal classic. John, come, come to the Sabbath. Down by the ruined bridge, witches and demons are coming. Just follow the magic. Are you ready to swear an oath of eternal allegiance to the Dark One? By which, of course, I mean King Diamond. Absolutely not. Okay. Well, truth be told, to my mind, the best is still yet to come. As much as I utterly adore Merciful Fate, King Diamond's solo material is quite literally my favorite music of all time, and my partisan sentiments favor the King Diamond materials we'll be rigorously exploring on a future episode. Still, Merciful Fate's three classic 80s releases are amazing albums, and their influence on heavy metal overall, and particularly on thrash superstars like Metallica, Megadeth, and Slayer, cannot be overstated. So what happened? How did this amazing band collapse just 2.5 albums into their fabulously evil career? Well, it was the cliched classic excuse, musical differences. John, what the hell are musical differences? Well, I assume that the bass player and the drummer got tired of the singing and wanted to go elsewhere. John, I think it's clear to, clear to me that you and I have musical differences. I think that is fair. Mm -hmm. But I think they only make us stronger. Mm. Mm -hmm. Alas, Hank Sherman, who had apparently taken to wearing an increasing amount of white tank tops and spandexy pants by 1984, he was really interested in a more commercial musical direction. King Diamond, on the other hand, wanted nothing to do with this. 
And so, in April of 1985, the band split, with King Diamond taking Michael Denner and Timmy Hansen, the bassist, who you said sort of nice things about. I did like the bassist. Yeah, great bass play. Took them with him to form his new self-titled project, and Hank Sherman forming a Journey-esque hard rock ensemble called Fate. Kim Ruz, meanwhile, was pissed at everyone and just took his toys and went home. He actually went on to become a mailman, which is kind of unexpected, no? It's an interesting change in professions. Yeah, uh, it's honest work. Anyhow, this story is most definitely to be continued with the more powerful than ever King Diamond's glorious solo debut masterpiece, Fatal Portrait. But that will need to be a tale told another time. Perhaps we'll save it for a dark and stormy night and tell it around a blazing campfire within a dark and haunted woods. How does that sound? I think that would be an interesting audio challenge. Yeah. The sound of a fire crackling in the distance. The faint ring of notifications going off in the background. <laughs> a bunch of fucking amateurs over here can't mute our notifications. I don't know how! God. Oh, help me. <laughs> so, John... What have we learned today? Today we learned a lot about the band Merciful Fate, oh. including the members, their musical origins. This is a surprisingly some literal of the, some, of, some of the names. <laughs> All right. I can't refute any of that. <laughs> I, however, have learned that even though John and I suffer from musical differences, I still think he's a swell dude. Oh, that's very kind. Yeah, yeah. And, were he to be found having been ritually murdered, it most certainly wouldn't have had anything to do with me. Well, that seems reasonable. Mm -hmm. uh, the best news of all is that since this story isn't finished, I'm not yet ready to retire to my life of leisure in the Florida Keys. As such, why don't we promote the podcast so people can listen to future episodes and share those episodes with their friends and loved ones. So if you want to force this podcast upon the people that you care about, you certainly can. We wouldn't say no. You're not forcing it. You're suggest gently suggesting. Yeah, that's what you do. To people who might have an interest in Merciful yeah, Fate. Yeah, there are people out there who like this, I'm told. Mm -hmm. But if you do... Don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It's a great way to get our show out there for others to hear. Which is nice. Yeah, it helps promote what we're doing here. Mm -hmm. And if you want to reach out to us, keep it to yourselves. I'm tired of reading your mean emails about me. They're hurtful. I'm not a moron. I just disagree with you. But if they want to say nice things about you. No, they, keep it to themselves. They just, I don't they, want to hear it. You don't want to hear it? I don't want to hear it. Okay, well, if you want to contact why are you whispering? What? what? <laughs> I wasn't doing anything. The email is heavymetal101podcast at gmail.com or you can leave us a voice message. with If it's, if it's mean to John, it would be so fucking great. <laughs> <laughs> I would really enjoy that. Uh, that would be anchor.fm slash heavymetal101podcast. Has anyone ever left a No, I still have Be the first. Although, honestly, I don't know if I know how to check the voice <laughs> There are hundreds. There might, be, there might literally be hundreds of voicemails. I'm not sure. I should probably try and like look into that. Mm. You can also chat with us or really me. Yeah, let's be very clear. 
John, you can chat with Eric. I do forward them to you, right? Not all of them, but no. the ones that are mean to you. <laughs> Wait, those, are, those are fun. But on social media, you can reach us via at Facebook, which is probably the place I'm most active, at Heavy Metal 101 Podcast. Twitter, where I pop in and out, at Heavy underscore 101. Or on our severely underutilized Instagram page, at Heavy Metal 101 Podcast. Maybe you nice people could send us cool photos of yourselves listening to the podcast so we have pictures to post. Or perhaps I can post pictures of John satanically rocking out to Merciful Fate in leather and studs. Now, how does that sound? Mm-mm. I feel like that would be a uh, viral image in the Mm-mm. making. Mm-mm. You're not feeling it? Mm-mm. All right. Anyhow, thank you for spending the time with us. You all rock. Most of all, thanks to Merciful Fate and King Diamond for all the incredible music. Long live the king!